This is Pixelated Audio, episode 116, and you're listening to the music of Gyrus. Welcome to Pixelated Audio, a podcast focusing on game audio, its history, and the people behind it. We're your hosts. I'm Gene, and this is Brian. How's it going, everyone? Today, we're going to be playing music and talking about Gyrus. This was kind of spawned from our Library of Congress talk. We started looking into the game and history and getting stuff prepared for our talk. And we figured, you know, this game is really interesting. There's not a whole lot of music, so it's going to be a shorter episode. But it was something we were kind of passionate about and wanted to dig into a little bit more. Yeah, it was kind of the turning point between old arcade music and sort of the newer 8-bit music. Yeah. It's based off of Toccata and Fugue in D by Bach, written around the 1730s. So we had that sort of classical music arranged for a new game. But at the same time, you can see that they're doing a little bit more with it than they would probably have done a few years earlier. Right. That track that brought us in was the start intro and the main BGM-1 from the arcade version of Gyrus uh, that was released in 1983. And this is an excellent arrangement, I think, for all the different sounds that we're getting out of those five PSG chips that are included in this cabinet. Yeah, we talked about it on the earlier show at the library. This one still looks really good in arcades. Every time I load it up, it's it's just a joy to play. Yeah, yeah. I, I think this track, too, is just so powerful, so strong. I mean, obviously, the, the composition is solid, right? But, like, the sound that these, these uh, PSGs are producing together is just incredible. And I think just blasting, you know, out of those speakers of the cabinet has got to be an amazing feeling. So 1983 is so early, but such a great sound. I can only imagine how it would have felt. All right, so Gyrus hit the coin-op market in 1983. It was developed by Konami and released by Century, who with Stern published a lot of their early titles overseas. It's a shoot-em-up through the Earth's solar system where the player ship moves in a circular orbit around the outer edge of the screen while shooting enemies in the center. It's kind of like a cross between Galaga and Tempest, if you've ever played those. It was released in two different forms, an upright cabinet and a cocktail version, which looks really incredible. I'm a big fan of cocktail arcades. It reminds me of like playing games with my parents when we would go to uh, like restaurants and stuff. Uh, Pac- Miss Pac-Man was a big one. And so anytime I see a cocktail cabinet, I just get this just warm sense of joy. And it's, it's always ah, makes me so happy. I think I only ever really played cocktail cabinets at pizza parlors because that seems to be where they lived. Yeah, that, that was kind of one, one of the places they lived. Now, we had we had like the old spaghetti factory. That was one of the places that we would go to. And um, it would ha- they had like Mr. Do in a cabinet. And we played that a ton. And anyways, it, it, good times, cocktail cabinets. And I mean, got one just downstairs in the garage. So 
If you ever want to play cocktail cabinet, come over and have a pizza at my house. Sounds like a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) So we're not going to talk too much about Konami because we talk about them all the time. If you want to hear more about them, look at pretty much any number of episodes. (laughs) Just search Konami on the website and you'll find, I don't know how many, 15 episodes we've talked about them. At least, yeah. So we are going to talk a little bit about the game designer, Yoshiki Okamoto. So Gyrus was designed by Okamoto, his second and last game for Konami after Time Pilot. After the release of Gyrus, he was let go due to a pay dispute and went on to work for Capcom. He designed Gunsmoke, Sidearms, and Forgotten Worlds. He was the producer for Final Fight and Street Fighter II, among many other titles. It seems like a mistake, you know, like to let this guy go. Yeah, you know, I bet he probably said, pay me more. And Konami said no. So he went somewhere else where they would. (laughs) So Their loss. Konami's loss. Big loss. So in 1997, Okamoto founded his own company, Flagship, with funding from Sega, Capcom, and Nintendo. You might not know the name, but Flagship worked on a number of high-profile games, including many of the Resident Evil games, the Onimusha series, the Zelda Oracle games for Game Boy Color, the Game Boy Advance Zelda games, and their last game was Kirby Squeak Squad on the DS before Flagship was absorbed back into Capcom in 2007. So I've played a lot of those games, actually. I didn't even know about this company. Me too. I never heard of Flagship. Well... There, there you have it, Okamoto. <laughs> so in 2003, Okamoto went off to found yet another company, Game Republic, which was best known for its Genji series of games on the PS2 and PS3. They're set in feudal Japan and have a similar play style to the Onimusha series. Game Republic also released the PS3 action game Folklore or Folk Soul in Japan, as well as the RPG Brave Story New Traveler on the PSP. Not as familiar with this era of output, but I've yeah, heard of a few here. of these games. Same here. In 2011, Game Republic shut down due to debt, and a year later, Okamoto announced that he had retired from making console games and began working on mobile games. In recent years, he created Dragon Hunter and Monster Strike for Mixie. Dragon Hunter was a moderate success, but Monster Strike became a major hit, going on to be one of the highest-grossing mobile apps of all time at around $7 billion, surpassing even Puzzles and Dragons. Wow. So I didn't, I'd never heard of this game. Apparently it's much bigger in Japan, but I've heard of Puzzles and Dragons and I knew that thing was just a cash cow for many years. So yeah. to, to beat that in sales, that's that's pretty impressive. Well, Mixie, if you guys aren't familiar with, with Mixie, it's, a, it's kind of like a social networking platform for Japan. It's kind of like, it's kind of like MySpace was, um, and then kind of Facebook at the same time. But I think it started dying out maybe, I don't know, like, eight, nine years ago. It's still around, but it's just not what it it was. It was huge back then. Like everybody had a Mixie account. Uh, But yeah, I mean, that's to put it into context, you know, like we had Farmville, I guess on, yeah, I was just about to say Zynga had a lot of games in early Facebook, which they started to phase out. So anyway, do you want to get into some more music? Yeah. So let's get into our next track. This is BGM two composed by Masahiro Inoue.
All right, that was Main BGM 2, composed by Masahiro Inoue for Gyrus in the Arcade. It's got a nice heavy gravitas to it, based on the old Bach tune. Yeah, this one is uh, very powerful as well. I like this track. In fact, I mean, there's not many, and they're all good, but I like the, the classical section that comes in uh, a little bit later on. The drums kind of taper off, and then, then they pump back up. I think that's a really powerful thing for this kind of circular spinning action game, right? You get these these moments of relief, and then back, back in the action. You know, it's pretty cool. I like the heavy choral cadences at the end, but I've listened to a lot of choral music over the years, so I guess that's no surprise. So for those of you who've never played Gyrus, this is the second of three tracks. The main tune is kind of broken up into stages, so it's kind of taken as one long piece of music, so we've just heard the second one right now. Right, right. So uh, let's talk about the composer real quick, Masahiro Inoue. He didn't spend a lot of time working on music, with Gyrus being his only major credit. He worked for Konami for a number of years in other roles. For example, he was the designer for Crime Fighters and produced for games like Slam Dunk 2, Violent Storm, Metamorphose, and Dragoon Might. He was also a voice in one of the characters in Martial Champions, and he was even listed as special thanks on the first Zone of Enders game in 2001. Yeah, he was with Konami for a number of years, but as you can imagine, a lot of these early artists were just the first available programmer that knew how to program sound. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he did an excellent job. You know, he really, I, he might have been, I bet you he was a classical music fan anyway, and he was able to kind of translate his passion into chip tunes, I guess. Classical music is such an easy source of getting music, even some modern games. Like I was just playing Stacking a little while ago, and a lot of those tunes are just recordings of really old music, and it works so well. Yeah, yeah. All that public domain stuff is so easy, and, and you can get away with it because it's so good anyway. It's true. You know? You don't even have to be a classical music fan, I think. It, it all works out. Anyway, so Gyrus was ported to a number of different consoles and home computers. And so this next track that we're going to play is from the C64 version. This is BGM3 or Subtune 6. That was main BGM3, arranged by an unknown composer for Gyrus on the C64. This is Gyrus, if Gyrus, the spaceship, was a helicopter. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really care for this track that much, to be honest. No, I feel like the early C64 stuff, they hadn't figured out the chip, so it's kind of like, there's some cool tones there towards the end, but it's kind of a pretty straight arrangement. Yeah, unfortunately, at the end is where I was the most curious. Like, oh, is it going to build up to something? And then it just kind of tapers off into nothing. Uh, but, you know, it. I, I think it works for the game if, you know, if it's just an, you know, it's just an action game's early... Um, this was released in what 84 1984 yeah yeah so it was it was still pretty impressive I think and I actually played the c64 version it's it's pretty good 
You know, it's, I, there's it's a pretty faithful port. There's an, a version for the 2600, 5200, the Atari 8-bit, the ColecoVision, and the C64, all released in 1984. I played a few of these versions. Even the 2600 version's pretty faithful. It's like solid single colors, but it plays pretty well. Yeah, I, I think it's just a, a really good um, formula for a game that just translates well across any platform. You know, it's it's very simple. I mean, you could almost make the the game yourself with like sticks in the dirt. You know, and like <laughs> it's all it's almost that simple. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was released for all these different eight bit computers and home consoles, and most of them were developed by Konami. The 2600 was developed by Rockland, which is a company from Chicago? That's right, yeah, a U.S.-based company. In fact, a lot of these were published by Parker Brothers, the board game company, because there wasn't a lot of Western distribution for Japanese companies at the time. Right, and games... Video games, games, video games, yeah. They're kind of like interchangeable back then, so it was just anything that was entertainment, so it makes sense. Now, there is a story here, which is kind of strange, but in 83, like, I guess, you know, if you're going to put all this money and time into making something, might as well put a little nice story behind it. So it goes 2.75 billion miles from home. Your journey from Neptune to Earth is threatened by 25 stages of attack by the evil Idio clan empire, consisting of Exarcians, Paterions, Terrarians, Gagarians, and the bonus stages, Zygmas and Dogmas. A lot of really clever sounding enemy names. Uh, I was struggling through each one of those just now. I think it's just prefix of like, you know, Mega, Giga, Terra, and Peta, then... Exe- yeah, something. Something. <laughs> <laughs> but the gameplay is pretty straightforward. The, the main focus of the game is to fly through the solar system and reach Earth, hitting Neptune, Uranus, Saturn, Jupiter, and Mars along the way. And each time you reach a planet, there is a challenge stage where you try to destroy as many enemies as possible. It's really fun, adds a lot to the experience. You know, everything was about high scores and, and getting the most points back then. And so this was like that driving force that made you want to keep going and getting more uh, or increasing your, your high score each time you play. There's really not much to it, honestly. Yeah, there's not much to it. Uh, after reaching Earth, there's a challenge stage followed by a very fast three warps to Neptune stage. After this, the levels and the background music start over. Controls are pretty straightforward. It's an eight-way joystick and a fire button. So joystick, one button. I miss those days. You could pretty much put this in front of anybody and they'll figure it out. Yeah. I mean, like even kids who have never played a game before, they can figure out one button and that's... That, the eight-way joystick does take a little bit of getting used to because you kind of got to hold the direction you want the ship to go. And if it's moving, it's... It, but it's it, still pretty simple after it, a few minutes. It's still pretty simple. Anyways, so we talked about the early computer ports like the C64 that we just played. It was also ported to the Famicom Disk System and the NES. And so we're going to listen to a track here from Stage 1. This was arranged by Atsushi Fujio, Yuichi Sakakura, and Harumi Ueko.
That was stage one for Gyrus on the Famicom Disk System, arranged by Atsushi Fujio, Yuichi Sakakura, and Harumi Ueko. I like this version a lot. It's really, really good on the Famicom Disk System. I think this is my favorite version of the episode of this track. I think so too. You're going to hear a few versions of it. I think yeah. not too many, but a few. Yeah. And what an all-star cast that did the arrangement for this game, right? Like we've talked about all these guys on the show before. They're yeah. all top notch. We'll talk about some of them in just a bit. But <laughs> yeah. Gyrus was released on the disc system in November of 1988 and February 1989 for the NES. The gameplay is a little bit different. It's more like a sequel than a port. Changes include improved graphics and music, additional songs, an intro and ending sequence, a super blaster weapon with limited charges, new enemies, extra stages, this time traveling through all of the solar system, including Pluto and the Sun, as opposed to just starting from Neptune, chance and bonus stages, mini bosses on some stages, and main bosses at the end of others. Yeah. The music is similar. It's the same theme, but the port over just works so well on the Famicom disk system. Do you want to listen to just that channel real quick and see what it's doing? Because I know that this uh, this horn sound is doing the melody. That's red. It's it's very very brass sounding i like that it shows what you can do with five or six channels really well if you know what you're doing uh, yeah. instead of 15 that it's just kind of like thrown in there yeah you know what it reminds me a lot of what's that falcyon oh yeah and there's a reason <laughs> for that isn't there there is so uh the first one atsushi fujio he worked on a number of different things including uh falcyon bio miracle bokute upa for the famicom disc system uh exciting billiards uh, so we talked about him on the Falcium episode, which is an excellent soundtrack. Also did the Maze of Gallius, which we did a episode on as well. Uh, did YY World and the Adventures of Bayou Billy, Jackal, Blades of Steel, and Lagrange Point uh, as sound designer for that one. On the Super Nintendo and Genesis, he did some stuff as a sound designer. Contra 3, The Alien Wars, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Tournament Fighters, and Castlevania Bloodlines. I mean, like, we've already nailed, like, what, six of these in different episodes already, so... I'm pretty uh, sure this podcast is just about him. <laughs> yeah, it's about him at this point, yeah. So, Yuichi Sakakura, mostly a sound designer, but he worked on some pretty high-profile games. For the Nintendo, he worked on Top Gun, The Second Mission, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, the arcade game, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, the Manhattan Project, both for the Nintendo, Ganbare Goemon Gaiden 2, Zen Intergalactic Ninja... And also worked on Metamorphic Force and Beatmania 2DX 7th style in the arcade. So yeah. not not as many credits as some of the others, but... Some Still, like, everybody recognizes some of these titles, especially Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. The Famicom Distance, or the Famicom and the NES version of those games are incredible, and that's what a lot of kids grew up playing because, you know, not everybody had access to the arcades. And this was the, the perfect way to experience it in your home. And it was a really fun ports. They were. I played a bunch of the second and the third one. Yeah, very good. And then we have Harumi Ueko. And he was a sound designer for Gradius 3 on the Super Nintendo. Also, The Legend of Mystical Ninja. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Tournament Fighters, and Turtles in Time on the Super Nintendo. Batman Returns, Castlevania Dracula X, all on the Super NES. For composition work, he did SD Snatcher on the MSX, Gradius 4 in the arcade, Silent Scope 1 and 2 on the PS2, and Dreamcast, and many Bimani games under the pseudonym Jimmy Weckle, particularly Guitar Freaks and Drum Mania. 
I wouldn't have recognized the name, but I have seen Jimmy Weckle a ton because I played a bunch of music games. We've, we've talked about that on the show before. I was really confused because I always thought that Harumi Ueko was a uh, female because of the name. It's such a, it's a classic female name. And so when we realized it was Jimmy Weckle, I was like, oh, I was totally wrong this whole time. But hey, there, there you have it. Yeah, and all the photos definitely uh, corroborate that it's probably a guy. <laughs> yes, so. yes, yes. Anyways, let's get into our next track. This is from stage two for the NES version of Gyrus. That was the stage two music arranged by Atsushi Fujio, Yuchi Sakakura, and Harumi Ueko for the NES version of Gyrus. It's a pretty classic Konami sound right there. That's some straight tennis music, man. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I really like the NES version because it's clear they're they're paying respect to the original, but they're also kind of doing their own thing and branching out. So that's really one of the reasons why I think this is probably my favorite version of the ones that we're going to be playing today, at least, you know, as a complete package. This is really different. I This doesn't strike me as a Gyrus track at all. I mean, it's, I mean, it's not. It's not yeah. by Bach, but yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> it's, uh, it's a really good track, though, on its own. I think that oh, you do sacrifice the uh, one of the square wave channels to take over the melody from the Famicom disc system um, that was handling it prior, but uh, this is just a great arrangement. It's still it, yeah. pretty good arrangement, even on the at the NES. You know, fewer channels, but uh, I like it a lot. Yeah. So Gyrus saw a few other ports. Uh, this is kind of an interesting one. There was a game called Konami '80s Arcade, which actually did release in arcades first, and then on PS One. But it was one of these. Wait, that's that's strange. So they made an arcade, kind of like an arcade classics in the arcade. Yeah, it was one of these compilation things. You know, well before all of these like Mame cabinets or anything. It was essentially <laughs> just like their classic arcade games huh. recreated. So they had Scramble, ER Kung Fu, uh, Circus Charlie, Road Fighter, Time Pilot, some of the really early games. Mm-hmm. And this came out in 1998 in Japan. It was planned to come over to the West, but it never actually made it over in arcades. But it did come out in Japan and North America in 98, 99 on the PS1. A few years later, there was a GBA port or a Game Boy Advance 2002. Had a few extra levels. It was part of their Konami Collector Series Arcade Advanced, which also had some early games like Time Pilot, Russian Attack, uh, Frogger, Scramble. You know... Musically, there wasn't really any difference. These were just straight arcade ports. The Game Boy Advance version looks really good. It, it, it does. It, it does look really... I, maybe it's the screen resolution just pairs up well with it, but it looks very clean. I, I tried it out a little bit. It looks great, spot on. You get uh, you have a, a little bit wider screen on the on the GBA, so you have like stats on the side. Yeah. Um, and I think you have that on the NES as well, right? 
I well, because that's a different game. So you know, yeah, the NES version is a little yeah, bit yeah. more of like a home conversion, whereas the GBA one is a port. So yeah, they they kind of cheat. They give you the tall screen and the stats on the side, so you still have that yeah. tall vertical yeah. arcade uh, aspect ratio, but. Right. You don't lose anything in the resolution. I played like six versions in the last like (laughs) week. And so I I can't, I'm mixing them up, but uh, yeah, they also released a version on mobile phones in 2004. There is, there's some kind of compilation um, that Konami threw together. They included Gradius. And I think it was a standalone game or app that you could download as well. Yeah. Yeah. So not a lot of changes to the music, but uh, you know, they're, they're good ports. Good way to play it. If that's, if you got a Game Boy laying around, you know, I really want a Game Boy Micro. Oh. This would be so rad. It would be like it the size be... of a quarter. <laughs> well, and, and you space. only get about half the screen. So it's even smaller than that. It's like a dime. <laughs> yeah, true. Good point. Uh, so we played a track from the Famicom Disk System and the NES, but we haven't really done a direct comparison between two of the same track. So there's kind of a good example here. The short, it's the bonus music or that chance stage. So let's take a listen to the Famicom Disk System first and then jump over to the NES. So that was the bonus stage track or the chance stage track from the Famicom Disk System version. Let's jump into the NES version. So there's not a whole lot of difference as far as the melody or the you know the the guts of the track go, but having that warmer sound on the Famicom disc system sounds so nice, so pleasant. You know they did a good job with the NES, but I, I think in this case I do prefer the disc system version. It does have a little bit of extra kind of I don't know buzz or, or it's got a it's got an interesting sound to it. I really like it when it's used well, and I think yeah. Konami is one of the few companies that really that really takes advantage yeah. of it and kind of showcases it. Yeah, for sure. So one thing that's really cool about Gyrus is it really had this lasting impact. You know, in addition to all of these ports that Konami made, it actually found its way into a few other games. For example, in Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, there's an arcade with this sort of Gyrus clone called They Crawl from Uranus. You know, oh. uh, you know. Uh, what's more, it's a, very, it's a very GTA thing to of do. Of course, right. What's a little bit more interesting is. On the PS1, Konami gave their license for Contra to Appaloosa, the guys who made Echo the Dolphin. They made Contra Legacy of War, and for no real reason at all, they actually included a complete port, whatever, kind of hacked-together version of Gyrus, which is a, it's kind of this little Easter egg that you can find in the middle of the jungle no, stage. No kidding. On the, uh, from, like, the NES version, I'm, I guess. It's sort of. It's based on the NES version, but it's actually their own kind of made from their PS1 assets, kind of hacked together. Huh. 
There's also a combat clone in there. They just decided to throw these in there for no real reason. <laughs> That's strange. So Contra Legacy of War, that was on Saturn as well. Did that have the Easter egg too? I'm pretty sure it did. Yeah. I, huh. I just saw footage from the PlayStation 1 version. Uh, and so what's odd is because it's playing during the middle of the jungle stage, we're actually going to be playing the music that you hear during it because it's technically what you hear while you're playing Gyrus. Yes. I was against this, but we're going to listen anyway. <laughs> it's so far of a departure. It's just as weird to watch this game with this music in the background as it is just to hear it by itself. So let's listen to the jungle theme from Contra Legacy of War, composed by Attila Hager.
All right, that was the jungle theme from Contra Legacy of War that happens to play during Gyrus. You get one of those a year, Gene. <laughs> you get one of those a year. Hey, it's technically in Gyrus, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. okay. In the loosest sense I'll possible. You, I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> well, I didn't want to play yet another version of that main theme just yet. We have yes. one more coming up. <laughs> so... Uh, so Attila Hager worked at Appaloosa, the company sort of most well-known for Echo the Dolphin. He worked on Contra Legacy of War, The Lost World, Jurassic Park, the 97 version, See the Contra Adventure. He also worked on Wacky Races, and uh, more recently he's been working on some of the Zen Pinball games and oh, no Castle kidding. Storm even. So uh -huh. yeah, some more recent stuff, uh, as recently as 2017 for Pinball FX3. So still in the game. Wow. Cool. Yeah, I'm not really familiar with his work outside of, I guess, well, now this. So, uh, yeah, but some pretty well-known stuff. Yeah, uh, other than his more recent stuff, if you like the pinball games, Pinball FX or Zen Pinball, you probably would know him from the two Contra games. I know Electric Boogaloo is a huge fan of the the video pinball stuff. I, I am too, but not not at his level. He's He's kind of a nut about it, but that's cool. They're pretty good, but this was definitely just to throw in a bit of a curveball in the episode, you know. Thank you, Gene. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. So, <laughs> uh, to, no problem. To round out the show, uh, I will say a remixed version of the track from Gyrus appeared in DDR Ultra Mix 2 on Xbox in 2004, which was arranged by Jaron Tolman. And probably the most recent release of Gyrus was the 2007 Xbox Live Arcade release, which had the option of using updated graphics and it featured updated music by your own tell, a name we know and love. Yep. He's definitely a composer who's made the rounds over the years. Yes. And so our next version is the main BGM, arranged by your own tell for the Xbox 360 or XBLA. So let's take a listen.
That was the main BGM arranged by Euro Intel for the XBLA version of Gyrus. It's a pretty cool track. Nice little electro dance version. It hits all the high notes. You yeah, that's no, the... cool. It's cool. You know, I, I've heard this uh, track like a million times now, but it's still still fun to listen to. I like it. And I have to be honest, I, I played this version a little bit. I played the demo. It's, it's solid, but, you know, it, it doesn't do all that much to update it from from the originals it's like the original game with new sound yeah new graphics and they're not like super amazing it was kind of in that era when konami was trying to just make ports like i think there was frogger and some of these other things and they didn't really put that much time into it It was one of the early xbox live arcade games right right they were just basically trying to cash in on some of their old stuff Yeah, yeah yeah i mean it's fun it's still like a good version of the game but it's maybe not it's not amazing anyway no no additional stuff there just go play it on game boy advance or play it on whatever version you can find i mean it's still a fun game to play today totally i love this game i love it and it was a lot of fun researching it for the library of congress talk because you know i played gyrus a a lot when i was a kid and uh i i didn't really think of ever doing a show on it because it's just there's not a lot of music it's it's good stuff but how are we ever going to, you know, tie it and, you know, track down all the information? Somehow we did it. So <laughs> I think the most interesting part is it just takes a lot of twists and turns and kind of goes through a lot of different hands. Yeah. You know, it was, had those, the life on the, the 8-bit Western consoles primarily. Then it, you know, went to Japanese home consoles. Then it went to these weird kind of arcade ports. Yeah, there was even a clone of it that was released in the arcades about the same year or two called it venus yeah i i didn't look into that one too much but it's, it's the same game yeah it's the same game for a game that really never evolved that much beyond like the nes version it's surprisingly got a lot of longevity to it people really like the original gyrus it's a good game i mean i don't blame them but oh it's like one of the top like 100 arcade games or something of all time it's like it's oh it's gotta be up there man yeah it's, it's a, a classic was, can i surprise though there wasn't a little bit more evolution of this kind of thing but, you know, you some know, like, games just kind of have that one form and they, they stick to it. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I could see uh, I could see something really awesome. Like, uh, I, I guess like a, like a rehash, like a reboot of this game, like all modern out. And, and, you know, there's a lot of spinoffs, I think, that, that kind of follow the formula. So maybe, maybe that's all we're going to get from it. You know, of course, you probably saw more of the evolutions in like Tempest and TXK, all those Jeff that's, Minter games. That's the one. Tempest is like the... In fact, I probably played Tempest more. I think so too. Although, yeah. to be fair, they're also not that different from their original versions. There's, I guess, only so far you can take that kind of game style. Good point. Good point. So... Yeah. Anyways, today we covered Gyrus in the arcade. We talked about the home consoles, the computers, and uh, the more recent XBLA version. Uh, had a lot of fun talking about the game, and hopefully this episode's on the shorter side. I have no idea. I'm not looking at the clock, um, but it's it's pretty late here, so I'm ready to wrap things up. Definitely. Let's uh, let's take this home. Yeah, so if you want to know more about the show, you can find us online at pixelatedaudio.com for the show notes and our track list. We're also on Twitter, and we have a Patreon. If you like the show and you want to support us and help us keep putting out content, you know, check out our Patreon and uh, maybe pledge a few bucks. Yeah, we got a lot of content to go through. We just released a music disc. We had another Konami game, Rackets and Rivals, really short, just like five or six tracks. We had, of course, our Library of Congress talk, which was a huge honor once again. 
and Dream Come True, Gabriel Knight, episode 110. <laughs> Absolute favorite. And that memory is going to be with me for a long time to come. Yeah. If you guys like the show, please leave a comments or feedback on the website or a review on iTunes. We got one last track taken out the show. This is from the Famicom Disk System version. This is the ending track of Gyrus. Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see you back in a few weeks for the next episode.